This episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by HelloFresh. Please visit HelloFresh.com and use the promo code FILMCAST30 to save $30 off your first week of deliveries when you subscribe. Again, that's HelloFresh.com and the promo code FILMCAST30. Hey everyone, David Chen here. We had a couple audio issues during this episode, specifically during some portions of it. There's a lot of static when I'm talking. Apologies for that. It doesn't last for the whole episode. Uh, it's only sometimes, and hope you can figure out a way to enjoy listening regardless. Thanks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwire. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, everyone. Today, what we're going to be doing on this podcast is discussing some what we've been watching. Uh, we have a Slash Film Court. We haven't done one of those in a while. And then we're going to conclude with two in-depth reviews today. Two reviews. Uh, instead of two? One, I know. It's crazy. Uh, we got The Big Sick, new film by Kumail Nanjiani. Uh, he wrote it with his wife, Emily Gordon. Uh, and it is a movie that uh, is out in limited release right now, but making a ton of money uh, in a few theaters. And uh, we hope it'll make more. And then we're uh, going to move on into a review of Spider-Man Homecoming. So uh, I am very eager to see yeah. if Jeff Kanata lost his mind while watching this movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's what we got in store for you guys today. Find Two more... small indie movies. It's great. <laughs> Find more... Yeah. We just like to link up movies thematically. Yeah, with one exactly. Uh, anyway, find, uh, more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Before we get to anything that we've been watching, uh, this week, I want to just mention that uh, last week we had a contest where we gave away copies of the Blu-ray for Fate of the Furious, right? Fate of the Furious, you guys remember this? We did a contest and yeah. uh, we asked mm -hmm. people to submit their um, uh, reviews of the Slash Filmcast to the iTunes store. And uh, if you did that, you'd be uh, entered to win a random drawing of Fate of the Furious. And David, you were very explicit in saying we were not judging... The quality of the reviews. It was just an entry into a random drawing. And yet, I think we were all tempted to give awards based on the amazing quality of the reviews that we got. Uh, oh, that's true. That's true. Um, but I do want to say that uh, basically almost no one entered this contest for some reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> if, you, if you entered this contest, you had a 25% chance of winning a Fate of the Furious Blu-ray. What? Which, Only four people entered? Uh, no, I don't think you did the math right on that because we're giving away five copies of the Blu-ray. Oh, five. Yeah. I see. <laughs> but this so, is the good thing about giveaways like this. Uh, I remember my local tv station in hartford would do this all the time and i would always just keep winning because nobody well one, nobody one of one of two yeah. things is true either people don't like leaving reviews for us or <laughs> nobody or nobody wanted the fate of the furious blu-ray uh, both of which yeah. are things that make me really sad so anything uh, that makes yeah. people do work you know is hard <laughs> that's uh, true I would I would say that those things aren't mutually exclusive either. <laughs> I agree completely. Um, but wanted to announce our winners. Uh, and the the five winners of the fake contest are Heather Raymond, Katie Banner, Isaac C, Caleb Hu, and Mahesh Krishnamurthy. 
Uh, thanks so much for your reviews of the Slash Filmcast, which you submitted to iTunes. And uh, those Fate of the Furious Blu-rays are heading out to you very soon. Uh, we should also mention that uh, Fate of the Furious is coming out, I think, uh, this week on Blu-ray. So if you are jonesing mm-hmm. for your own Fate of the Furious Blu-ray, you can pick that up wherever Blu-rays are sold. Uh, again, that is coming out, uh, yeah, July 11th, 2017. Uh, some really high-quality submarine car chase action for you there on that Blu-ray. Um, but, okay, you know, you guys didn't you guys listen to this podcast you don't like the slash film cast you're lazy you know one one or both of those things are true and so you don't want to leave a review for us on itunes that's fine i understand that i understand that so we have something else to uh to bait the hook this week okay is it is it require less less action it requires slightly less work this time um so this week we're going to uh give away five copies of Free Fire, the new film by Ben Wheatley, uh, and executive produced by Martin Scorsese. Guys, this is a movie that I think all of us really enjoyed, right? We all loved it, yeah. 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 Um, and statistically, most of you listening didn't see it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, together, the three of us comprised 40% of the audience of Free Fire in theaters this year. <laughs> um, and so, huge bummer that that movie did not make more money, because it was very, very enjoyable. So uh, good. It's out in video on demand right now. It'll be out on Blu-ray on July 18th, 2017. Uh, and it's a, a, a movie that has some some really fun performances, some fun action, and just is a blast to watch. Uh, so I, I had a great time at the theater when I watched it and uh, really enjoyed the Blu-ray copy I, I also have. But guys, if you want to enter for a chance to win your copy of a Free Fire Blu-ray, all you got to do is the following. Uh, Free Fire is uh, a movie. I'm going to give away the premise here. Uh, about a bunch of people that go into a gun deal and then everything goes horribly, horribly wrong. Uh, so we want to hear your stories about entering a room, specifically a movie theater, and everything going horribly, <laughs> horribly wrong. Um, so what we want you to do is email slash filmcast at gmail.com. Uh, and in the subject line, put free fire contest and tell us a story of the worst theater experience you've ever had. Uh, the worst theater experience or the biggest theatrical disaster you've ever experienced uh, at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Free fire contest in the subject line. You must send in your entry by Friday, July 14th. So uh, very soon after we're recording and publishing this podcast, Friday, July 14th, 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. And uh, in the body of the email, if you could include your uh, mailing address, that would also help me out. <clears throat> People who are living in the U.S. only and uh, no P.O. boxes, please. So, yeah, uh, Slash filmcast gmail.com, free fire contest and subject line. Uh, let us know your worst movie going experience. Entries due by Friday, July 14th, 11.59 p.m. Uh, again, put your address in there. Uh, only if you're in the U.S. can you win. And uh, I think that's all the rules. No P.O. boxes. That's the other thing. Uh, but if you uh, want to get the Blu-ray the old-fashioned way, it's available where Blu-rays are sold. Uh, and will be available July 18th. It's a great Blu-ray. So I think uh, this this contest is going to definitively prove that people are more <laughs> excited about Free Fire than the Furious franchise. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and you know I don't actually disagree with that level of excitement. You know I think <laughs> Free Fire is a much more interesting movie than Fate of the Furious. But that's my opinion. That's my opinion. What do you think, Jeff? I would agree 100. Yeah, percent Exactly. Exactly. So let's uh, let's see those entries, people. Slashfilmcast@gmail.com. Free Fire contest on the subject line. All right. So uh, let's move on 
to what we've been watching this week. I wanted to mention a couple of quick things. Uh, one is I had a chance to go to Con of Thrones, uh, the first ever Game of Thrones convention. Wanted to thank all the people that came up to me and said hi. Wanted to thank all the people that uh, attended my panel with John Robinson called Ghosts of Westeros, in which we talked with many of the characters, or the actors, I should say, who had died on the show. Uh, it was a great honor to talk with these uh, esteemed actors. And so, like, thousands of people, guys, in this ballroom. Th- like, just, you, you, you know, the stage is really well lit, and just you look out on the audience, and it's just thousands. It goes on, like, forever. This just group of people that goes on uh, in the audience. So it was an incredible experience to moderate nice. that panel. And um, you can actually hear the full audio of that panel on A Cast of Kings at GameOfThronesPodcast.com. Uh, but just wanted to give a shout-out to all the people who attended that show. Uh, you guys psyched for the next season of Game of Thrones, Jeff? Oh, yeah, yeah. very. Yeah, I have most definitely. completely relinquished my... Uh, hipster book reading obsession oh, thank and God. Thank I realized God. I re- I've realized that this is no longer a book series uh, yes. it is it is exclusively a television series and we are especially there was news today that uh, George R. R. Martin is adapting a, a new series for HBO it's he's not working on the book he's just not or maybe he's <laughs> done with the books Jeff maybe mm, that's the other, there, the is other a, rumor. there is a theory out there that he's already done with the books so Anyway, uh, why would he not release them? <laughs> I, because I, of the, just keep keep us on our toes, keep us waiting. But oh, Dave, brilliant. I wanted to ask you, Dave. So this is is this the biggest convention type thing you've actually been a panelist for? Yes, uh, it's not the biggest convention. There was only about five thousand yeah. people at the convention. You were um, right, so but Comic Con like, like a hundred thousand. Yeah, but it is. I yeah. think it's the largest group I've ever done a panel for. Nice. Uh, there was well over two thousand people in the audience. I Just want to say so. congrats, yeah, Dave yeah, congrats, and man. Joanna. Like th- this is like you've gone from attending Comic Con, you know, and being <laughs> in the audience to being the people on the stage, and that's awesome. It was incredible, uh, and just everyone, everyone on the stage, all the actors were so game. I'm not going to name who the actors were because I would give away who died on the show, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> uh, all the actors were so game to share their experiences and and perform lines from the show. Uh, it was just so much fun. So, uh, and you can find more info about that convention at conofthrones.com. Again, um, find the audio of that panel at gameofthronespodcast.com. So, uh, maybe we'll see you guys there next year. You know, I think it'll be a, it'll be a, a growing concern, uh, the, that convention. I think it's going places. So, also wanted to give a shout out to A Ghost Story, the new film by David Lowry. You guys heard of this movie? Mm-hmm. It debuted at Sundance this year. Uh, it's like a very short 90-minute movie by the guy who directed Ain't Them Body Saints and Pete's Dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really don't want to say anything about it other than it is a really interesting movie that you should check out. If you, if you want to see something – if you want to see kind of a, uh, a slow-paced character drama that's a meditation on time and death and love – uh, that's what Ghost Story is. Oh, so sounds like right up my alley. I think that's, so. That's I think so. Um, I'm actually planning on seeing it again, taking the fiance. So, uh, one of the few movies this year that I've seen twice, uh, or that I'm planning on seeing twice. I saw Baby Driver again this past week as well. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, a Ghost Story out in very limited release this week, and it's expanding wider to more theaters. I think this Friday. So uh, I would recommend anyone check it out. I, I think it's and actually this is one of those movies that. I feel like benefits from you seeing it in the theater because oh, yeah. it because it forces you to not leave the theater like, or not like stop watching it. <laughs> no, no, because there's vast stretches of time in this movie where very little is happening on screen, and th- being forced to sit there and contemplate 
time as it stretches out in the way that the movie's portraying it is, I think, part of the experience of seeing the movie. So uh, it's it's a lot. I think it'll be a lot different if you see it at home. It's it's one of those movies that yeah, it, mm-hmm. yeah there's no special effects or explosions. But I think it will benefit from seeing it in a darkened theater and just taking it all in in one sitting. So, uh, A Ghost Story, new film by David Lowry, out in limited release, expanding wider in the weeks to come. That's what I've been watching this week. Devinder, you've got a bunch of things you've been watching. Yeah, a bunch of things I wanted to mention. I did finally get to see The Boy and the Beast, the latest film from Mamoru Hosada. Uh, and this is a movie about a young orphan boy who gets transported to a world uh, filled with monsters and it's kind of raised by a monster there, and uh, it, it's sort of like a father-son story, but it's really a movie, uh, and this is an anime movie, uh, it's really a film about like finding your inner strength during tough times, and I just want to say I love this movie. I've talked about Hosoto's stuff uh, before. Uh, he did uh, Wolf Children a couple years ago, and also Summer Wars uh, back in 2009. He is one of the most interesting directors right now. Uh, we've talked about a couple people, uh, the guy who also did... Uh, uh, your name. There, there are several directors who are kind of in the running to be the next Miyazaki, and then, uh, I think Mamoru Hosoda is one of them. Uh, love this film. It's on Blu-ray and DVD right now. Definitely worth checking out. And I am kind of sad I didn't get to see this in a the theater, you know, with a whole bunch of people because this is a, it's just like one of those big adventure movies, and I, I also think like it hits so many emotional levels. Uh, I would have loved to see this with a crowd. So just a big crowd pleaser. The Boy mm-hmm. and the Beast. How did you watch this movie, Devendra? I saw this on Blu-ray at home, and uh, yeah, it's 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 great. Awesome. I can't say anything bad about it. All mm-hmm. right. What else have you been watching, Devendra? Uh, a couple other things. Uh, Preacher Season 2. Just want to give a shout-out. Uh, I think this show is getting even more focused and just better. They're really leaning into their tone right now, which I think was a little all over the place in Season 1. And that may be why some people may be telling you not to watch it, Jeff. Uh, it took them a while to find their footing, but now they're on the road. They're kind of uh, on, on a big journey, and I think that's uh, something a lot of comic fans have been waiting for. Uh, I just I, I'm glad that they figured out how to manage the tone of the show. Like it's a lot more focused than I think it used to be, although just as weird. And that's a good thing. It's one of the most interesting things on TV. I have to, I have to, you know, I'm so glad you reminded me of this. I wanted to bring mm-hmm. this up with you guys. Uh, over the Fourth of July holiday, I went and um, had like a sort of a mini uh, family reunion up at my dad's house. He threw a Fourth of July party, and a bunch of uh, a Kanata clan from uh, <laughs> all over the state were there. It, it was crazy, man. It was very Italian. Everybody looked like everybody else. Um, Quick side note, my grandmother and her sister married my grandfather and his brother. What? So the DNA is very close. Every all, <laughs> all of my dad's cousins look exactly like him. It's very crazy. So there's like this big concentration of a bunch of clones. I'm, <laughs> so, I'm so curious where the story's going. I'm imagining <laughs> this just a whole family of like Kanata clones right now. Yeah, it's, great. it's, it's a bunch of people that look exactly like me and my dad. Uh, it, very Italian. Um but so my cousin Adam was there and uh, he's like, oh, yeah, you do uh, you do you review movies and, and TV shows on that on your show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, everybody, of course, you know, your family, they don't understand anything about podcasts. Like, how, you make money doing that. How do you, you have a living? You, what, what is How does it work? How do I see it? Where do I go? Um, you know, everybody has those questions, which is, you know, I'm sure you guys have dealt with, too. But mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm in that situation where it's like, oh, yeah. So you you see everything. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much see everything. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, Oh, are you, are you watching Preacher? No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't watch that. Uh, what about the Americans? 
No, no, I don't. I don't watch that one either. Actually, I'm not. I'm not uh, caught up with that one. Oh, The Walking Dead. You watch The Walking Dead? <laughs> no, no, I don't. A, no. a little add to touch. He goes, yeah, maybe. he goes. Oh, what about um, the Expanse? The Expanse. <laughs> no. You sure, this guy isn't related uh, to me, to, Jeff. To be, <laughs> to be fair, all those are pretty good shows, right? I know. Other than, I other than Walking watch, Dead, other than Walking all of Dead, them, yeah. I was like, other than The Walking Dead, I have no desire to watch The Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah. But all the other, all of those shows, I'm like, a in my wheelhouse. B, <laughs> I should be watching. C, like. I want to watch like I they're on the list of things I want to watch and uh and, and he's like oh okay and that was like the end of the conversation he was so disappointed <laughs> in me and I was disappointed in me I, I mean I was and, disappointed just now from you telling the story Jeff well you yeah. know it, Jeff you have a kid you have an excuse Dave has no excuse by the right. way I just want to throw that out there for yeah, all these shows I guess uh but yeah, Jeff, uh, I'm very sad. You missed that moment of connection with your family. Oh, my God. It was the worst. It made me – he was like – you know, walked away thinking this guy doesn't even do do his job. You know, this guy doesn't even do the things. <laughs> Bro. You, you work so hard to communicate what it is you do. Yeah. And then when you succeeded, he thinks you suck at it. <laughs> it's true. That's hilarious. <laughs> I went 0 for 4 on the movie – on the shows he's most into and excited about. And I should I, – I'm genuinely interested in too. It's like, ah. Uh, Man, literally none of the shows you like. I, I okay, all right. Did you, did you at least give him some to watch? I was like, uh, there's a lot of TV. You no, know, yeah, I was like, hey, have you seen Sneaky Pete? And he's like, no, nah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wander over here now. Like, oh. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so sorry. I got, I got a lot on my plate, guys. I got to catch yeah. up to my cousin. So, Devendra, Preacher season two, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, I think, and I really like season one. It's just a little rough, and I know a lot of people that annoyed plenty of people, especially fans of the comic. I think it's worth sticking through, mainly because this cast is amazing. And, uh, you know, surprisingly, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg have really, like, just found a good tone for the show. They directed, I believe, the pilot of the first season and the finale, and they did the pilot of this season. They're, like, they're also doing a great job, too, like, on all fronts. So, just digging it. Awesome. That's Preacher Season 2. It's on AMC, I believe, right? So Yes. Uh, and Devendra, what else have you been watching? I want to talk about the other crashing show. And uh, you may have seen this pop up in Netflix recently. This is the other show created by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who did Fleabag. And it's kind of confusing because it's also called Crashing and it's about young people in relationship troubles. So it's also it feels a little similar to the current HBO Crashing show. Uh, but it's it is different. Yeah, this one's about people uh, like 20 somethings who are living in a abandoned hospital. So it, it, I guess it's like a thing where you could pay very low rent to take care of an old building or something. Mm. Um, it's basically one of those. It's a young relationship drama. It's a will they, won't they kind of thing. It's kind of funny. I really like the characters. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's mainly it. It's a nice, fun character comedy to watch. And I just really like it too because Phoebe Waller-Bridge is involved and Fleabag was amazing. This is a much lighter show because Fleabag is just so hardcore at some points. I think that show veers into some really dark territory. This one's a lot lighter, uh, a lot more fun, but uh, definitely worth watching too. Cool. That's Crashing, the UK version uh, of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a version of the HBO show. It's just a completely different show. Yeah. It was uh, there first. It was called Crashing it was first. Called Crashing so. first. There you go. Yeah. And how did you watch that show, Devendra? That is on Netflix right now. All right. Cool. Well, that's what we've been watching. Jeff, uh, you have nothing listed under what you've been watching, uh, and that's because you've been sleep training your child, right? That is right, guys. So what, that what is, is right. What is sleep training for those of us who don't have children? 
that is where you uh, try to get your kids to sleep, even though they don't want to. And, um, you know, when you have a tiny infant, uh, oftentimes you will rock them to sleep or you will nurse them to sleep or you will sing them to sleep or you will stand there and hold them and bounce up and down or whatever, you, anything you can do to soothe the kid. Uh, but at a certain point, uh, you have to or you don't have to. Some people don't ever do this. But in order for your, you to remain sane, you have to get them to go to sleep on their own so that it doesn't require your input for them to be soothed. So if they wake up in the middle of the night, for example, they mm -hmm. can put themselves back down. They can wake up and go, oh, it's okay. I'm fine. I know how to go to sleep. And they go back to sleep. So you're training them how to go to sleep. Uh, and it is a very difficult process because it almost always involves crying it out, as people refer to it, uh, which means letting your kid cry, which is one of the most heart-rending, awful things I can possibly imagine. Because um, your kid is screaming for you to come get him. He is asking for your help and and screaming in, in wild distress and wondering why you're not coming to him like you always do. And you're sitting in the other room trying to look at a clock and wait five minutes before you go into the room. And then we're doing this very specific. There's a lot of people – I'm sure there's a lot of people listening because <laughs> God knows when I tweeted about it, I got a lot of very – strong recommendations. Um, right. A lot of people do it in a lot of different ways. I respect anybody, anybody that doesn't want to do the sleep. Some people think it's very mean to the kid to do it this way. A lot of doctors disagree. So we're kind of doing a very specific version based on a book uh, that my wife has that uh, has a lot of uh, praise and whatever, um, right. where you go into the room every five minutes and you say a very specific script to the child to let them know you're there, but you don't touch them or hold them or help them in any way. And you just keep doing that for as long as it takes until they, uh, go to sleep. And the first few nights it, it can take quite a while. Uh, and, and you and sit in the other room and there's, I mean, there's no way to like turn on a show and because you're every five minutes you have to go in and we're just sitting there staring at the baby monitor, watching our kids standing in his crib screaming and slamming his hands on the on the top of the crib and just very sad it's hard it's really hard oh yeah. man you know i mean comparably like we watched transformers a couple weeks ago that's like almost as bad as what you're describing right yeah no definitely all <laughs> nearly nearly as bad well sorry jeff that uh it's been challenging uh we got some support in this the chat room here we're broadcasting live scott says don't listen to the naysayers it's hard but you're doing the right thing jeff Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, I got a lot of supportive tweets as well uh, this week from people, and uh, I have I have endeavored very very hard not to um, not to have my my fatherhood uh, you know reduce my capacity on this show or any of the shows I do. I try really hard to uh, to to keep up, and I I you know intend to not continue to disappoint my cousin. Uh, yeah, but I, I mean, I, Jeff's not telling you every night I call him and I'm like, you better have things ready for what we've been watching yeah. or else is I say, don't very disappoint strict, us again every Jeff. night. Yeah. It's just crazy. Very strict taskmaster. I know. Uh, he said, what are you watching right now? And I'm like, I can't, my kid is screaming. And yeah. he's like, uh, it's not good enough, Jeff. That's not good enough. Yeah, I know. Um, I mean, in retrospect, I probably went a little bit hard on you, but, um, no, you're 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 watch training me, and it's I'm hard. It's, it's harder on you than that's really how than they learn. Yeah, that's yeah. how they learn. That's how they learn. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's well, it's anyway. really harder on you. <laughs> Speaking of challenging situations, guys, uh, why don't we dive into this week's slash film court? Slash film court. 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 Slash film
For those who don't know, the Slash Film Court is our quasi-regular segment where we adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas. You can always email us your Slash Film Court questions over at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Slash Film Court at gmail.com also works. They both go to the same place. This email comes in from a former uh, Slash Film Court uh not adjudicant it's not the right word um person defendant a, defendant appear, yeah a person who's appeared in the court logan from <laughs> chicago for those who don't recall uh logan previously wrote in about uh a thing of nacho cheese that was thrown at him during a movie screening that exploded uh-huh. all over his body uh and what to do in that situation uh logan has another food related dilemma to email into us he writes in the Slash Filmcast, congrats on your fundraising for the LA Children's Hospital and for an awesome podcast episode with Paul Shear. I couldn't pass up the opportunity to share another food-related movie experience from this weekend. Friday evening, I procured tickets to see an 8.30 screening of Spider-Man Homecoming, but had been dragged out after work to a local bar with a few coworkers. Because of this, I asked my partner if she could pick me up on the way to the movie, and she obliged. Riding in the car towards the theater, she sweetly told me, I put some snacks in my purse to sneak into the movie. Excellent, I thought, and I reached into the back seat to check out what goodies she had tucked away. I open up the purse and, to my shock, see that her idea of movie snacks is two warmed Ziploc bags full of spaghetti and meatballs. I I immediately tell her, you cannot bring this into the movie. This is not a food you eat in in a theater full of people. We argue for the entire ride to the theater on what constitutes movie food. You sat through a whole movie covered in nacho cheese, she she exclaims. Mm. I'm panicking. Fair point. I'm panicking, thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to be sitting in the theater next to someone eating spaghetti out of their purse. Luckily, (laughs) as we parked, I convinced her that if she left the spaghetti in the car, I'd buy her whatever she wanted at the concessions. I dodged the bullet there, but after the movie, she was still somewhat adamant that she was in the right. Please help me convince her that this is not normal. Also, yes, we ate the car spaghetti when we got home. (laughs) Oh, I love car spaghetti. Guys, the best thing about this is that it came with a photo. Yes. So initially, I just thought, okay, this guy is, I I don't believe him. I I literally don't believe this story because it's so ridiculous. And he already emailed in a ridiculous story, right? I just thought to myself, this is, I don't believe this story. Lightning Um, can't strike twice. Lightning can't strike twice. And you're just lying to get on the slash film court again. (laughs) That was initially my reaction. Uh, But he, Logan sent in a photo of his girlfriend at what appears to be in what appears to be a parking garage yeah. with two large Ziploc bags <laughs> of spaghetti which by the way let this be a lesson to future possible slash film court submitters in the moment document your evidence yes document your evidence <laughs> yes, yes, it's very good for your case this yes. is like an insurance claim for, exactly you're getting getting a ticket, like contesting a ticket, right? You got to get the photos. Yeah, have gonna, the presence of mind to document <laughs> the evidence. For the for the benefit of the people in the in the chat room, I'll put in uh, I'll put in the uh, you know the photo uh, for people. And for some reason, it's showing up sideways in the chat room. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so gentlemen, what do we yes. what do we think of uh, this case? Firstly, I think the the uh, Logan from Chicago did exactly the right thing, right? He diffused the situation, offered to buy, uh, you know, the girlfriend or the partner, whatever she wanted in exchange mm-hmm. for not bringing the spaghetti in, into the held his ground though. Yeah. Uh, here's the problem with that though. <laughs> is there literally any item 
in a concession stand offering that competes with spaghetti and meatballs? I say no. I say no. There is no substitute for that. I mean, I kind of wish there was a good spaghetti and meatballs for, uh, you know, for for the theater or something. (laughs) Right. Like a good portable way. Eat it in a cup. So <laughs> yeah, some spaghettios I, uh, or something. So uh, we we agree that <laughs> spaghettios. We agree that spaghetti is not a good movie food. And this is and madness, and especially was, yeah. in a Ziploc bag. Like one, uh, were there utensils? Right. Were there like, forks? Because uh, okay, just okay, slurping so, out of the Ziploc. I, I <laughs> no, what you do see is you poke a hole in the Ziploc yeah, and you yeah, just you suck just it, suck it down. I talked with my fiance about this particular case, and she was horrified by the prospect of, of spaghetti. And she actually outlined some really good criteria for what constitutes good movie food. Uh, n- number one, actually, this is, or actually, there's only two criteria, really. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number one, it can't be so smelly that <laughs> other people around you can smell it. And sure, I guess yes. a lot of existing movie food in theaters violates this rule, but still, yeah. you know, popcorn. N- it's just like the number one property of popcorn is the smelliness. It, it no, can't be too smelly. Like it can't be, sm- a, it like, can't it can't be... Like clashes with other smells, though. Is, I guess exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, like those are those are smells you're used to yeah. in the movie theater, and then all of a sudden spaghetti and meatballs comes out. You're like, wait, what? It's clearly <laughs> distracting. Like, like if it smells like popcorn, experience. you're like, oh, it smells like popcorn in the theater. If it smells like yeah. spaghetti and meatballs, it's hey, the guy next to me brought two bags of Ziploc spaghetti. <laughs> um, Which uh, is and the second thing yeah. is, is is very simple. It needs to be a food that you can easily reach down and take with your hand and put to your mouth without yes. looking because you are in uh-huh. the dark, right? And guys, spaghetti is <laughs> I don't barely... think nachos fit that. I don't think nachos fit that. I don't think hot dog fits that. Uh, okay. uh, I mean, hot dogs are pretty disagree on both counts, Jeff, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean... Can eat, you can eat nachos blindfolded? Nachos, uh, Jeff, well, nachos, nachos are rough. discrete units. You reach down, you grab a nacho, <laughs> no, no, but you they're raise filled with toppings. You grab. You down, can eat. You cannot eat nachos blindfolded, David. You reach down. You take the nacho unit in your hand. You lift it up to your mouth. You eat it. How do you know you're going to get you the shake, side of the nacho? You, you shake that doesn't have the, cheese on it. All the no, no. nachoy things that are on it. No, it's not. It's not one unit. Yeah, it's all those things. It's the cheese that goes everywhere. It's all those things. But the thing is, those are in movie theaters. I think a tougher one is queso, which is not. So it's a like a separate thing. You got to go dip into the queso, and Alamo Draft House has has these. And I've had to like just cover myself in tissue. Whenever I order the queso and chips at Alamo, because it's hard to eat that even with the table in front of you. So the rules are very strange, but I, I think we can all agree, though, that uh, spaghetti is a meatball. I, I don't know. Yeah, you, I, yeah. I don't think that works. Just, you need a fork and you're, you're, you're reaching yeah. down there. You're you're it's guys. It is challenging enough to eat spaghetti. Yes. When you have light. You know, when, when <laughs> and a well, table, and, when, and yeah, and, and and a napkin on your chin. Yeah, yeah. I, I I would go farther than you guys and say there is no situation when putting spaghetti in a Ziploc bag is a good idea. <laughs> yeah, one puncture and you're done. There like is, that, yes, the night is ruined. That's a that is a nightmare in your purse waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, I think that I guess that would be the unspoken third rule, which is that it should not be something that can rupture. And spill everywhere, right? Uh huh. There's a reason we use boxes in the movie theater and uh, bags for popcorn, but uh, they're pretty strong usually too. So I maintain my judgment here, which is that it's got to be something you can easily put to your mouth. Which I think hot dogs yes. and nachos are easy. It can't be. Super- oh, I'm a man who likes generous condiment. I need <laughs> I need to be watching where it's going to shoot out or spill to or pop onto my shirt. Yeah. 
Yeah, just it, like some mouthful of condiment. Yes, that's that right. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I I live in New York, guys, so I see people coming in with all sorts of stuff, and not just Alamo. Like I've seen people eat entire Chinese, like Chinese restaurant dinners, like a big, just like a all the containers, with, just like spread can, out in front of them at I a normal you, movie theater. Can I? I've ask seen you people. Yes. If you have to go to a movie or you're 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 in this situation where you're going to go to a movie uh-huh. and you didn't get dinner. Yeah. What do you do? Do, do you oh. bring, try to bring in something that's dinner like or do you try to construct <laughs> some sort of horrible garbage dinner out of condiment food? Or not condiment, I, I definitely don't do the concession food thing like I do. I mean, uh, come on, everybody sneaks in food. And stuff and snacks to the movies and sometimes like a sandwich or something that's pretty easy to bring in. I like to do the uh, like when I do like a matinee on the weekends, I get a uh, like a bagel witch from a local deli and bring that into the movie with me. And that is nice and compact and easy to eat. Um, but yeah, in New York, guys, I've seen buckets of fried chicken. <laughs> I've seen uh, you name it. I have never seen spaghetti and meatballs, though. So this is a new, even for New York. So this whole idea is madness. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, so we agree that whatever your rules are for movie food, which ours are slightly different, spaghetti and meatballs is not it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The uh, This this could be uh, in our uh, alternate podcast, The Slash Food Court, where we <laughs> talk about just never put spaghetti in a plastic bag. That is the <laughs> that is our slash food court ruling as well. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, thanks so much to uh, Logan from Chicago for writing in. Uh, appreciate his partner's uh, gumption or resourcefulness. You know. Thanks so much to Logan from Chicago for writing into the slash film court again. You can always write in with your movie related dilemmas at slashfilmcast at gmail dot com. You know. Uh, Logan writing in about how challenging it is to get a good meal at the theater. You know, it's just, it yeah, I know. Tough. I know, Dave. I know. Yeah. Yeah. A good meal. Mm-hmm. It can be tough, uh, because of the arbitrary, uh, movie food rules we've established. Right, Jeff? Yeah. 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 You want to, you want to eat healthy, Dave. You want to eat good. You want to have, I can understand his, his significant other wanting him to eat a little better than crappy nachos and and uh, hot dogs. You want to eat fresh. You want to re- eat healthy, right, Dave? Uh, I agree. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So moving on, I guess. Oh wait, no, we're not because we have a way to eat fresh and healthy, and it's Hello Fresh, our sponsor today. If you want to improve your life, honestly, the best way to eat. Fresh and healthy is to prepare your food yourself. But who has time? Who has time to go out to the store? Who has time to decide what they're going to eat? Who has time to cobble together all of the fresh ingredients? And then once you do, you're going to have all these leftovers and your fridge is overflowing and stuff's going to spoil and go bad. Guess what? There is a better way. And that way is HelloFresh. HelloFresh is direct to your door. You don't pay for shipping. They send you direct meals. Uh, they have two dietitians on staff creating awesome meals that you cook yourself. They send you the freshest of ingredients and recipes. And even if you're like me, who honestly, I never thought I could cook until I tried this. And it has changed my life. My wife and I now cook our own meals at home. We love it. It has, it has completely changed the way I think about eating, I used to be that bachelor that would go out 
all the time. I love cooking now. I've gotten really good at chopping stuff. It's it's really great and it will honestly improve your life. If you're single, how cool is it that you'd be able to invite somebody over and cook them uh, a delicious meal? I, I wish I had this when I was single. Also, it's economical. Less than 10 bucks a meal is what you end up paying with HelloFresh. And it's new delicious recipes every week, step-by-step instructions that are super easy. And they're light springy meals now. They've just in, in, introduced breakfast options as well. That's pretty darn cool. I didn't even know about that. You've got a great way to eat healthy, to eat healthy for every meal, and to give yourself a new skill. This is really, really cool. They think of themselves as a farm-to-box company. That's why they call themselves Hello Fresh because all of the ingredients are super fresh. Guess what? We're going to help you out. If you want to try Hello Fresh. You can get $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. All you got to do is enter in our promo code. Go to HelloFresh.com, enter the promo code FILMCAST30. FILMCAST30 is the promo code. Get you $30 off your first week. You can try it out, see if it's for you. I guarantee you, you're going to dig the recipes because they're really, really delicious. And I think you're going to probably like the fact that you're eating better and the portions are perfect. It, it's it's really great. You guys Life have done skills. it too, right? Life skills are great too, right? It teaches you cooking techniques. So it's kind of awesome. It's like becoming an adult. You know, I yeah. really feel like an adult when I cook for myself. It's pretty awesome. Check that out at HelloFresh.com. That promo code FILMCAST30. Thanks also to all the people who donated to the Slash Filmcast this week. Thanks to Jacob Flores, uh, Bluff Blanada from Spoiled Breast Milk, California. Huh, oh. weird... Uh, what a weird that guy. message. I've heard that so, guy is not to be trusted. <laughs> so, so uh, Jeff, this is in reference to a tweet that you made, right, about uh, th- there's like some power outage, correct? Yeah, there was a big power outage the other night at my apartment. You, and you, you uh, tweeted this. That thing where you panic about breast milk spoiling in a power outage, rush out and spend $50 on ice, get home, and then the power comes back on. <laughs> well, it was a little more complicated than that. I don't need to go into it too much, but the, but the the news was that we had heard uh, on on you know our devices was that uh, Northridge power had exploded and people were thinking the power is going to be out for like days. So uh, we immediately thought about all the breast milk that has we have frozen and are keeping in the freezer. Uh, yeah. People are like people people tweeted me very flip uh, responses like oh at least there's more where that came from. Those people clearly have never been around a woman who has pumped <laughs> breast milk because it is liquid gold. That stuff is not easy <laughs> to come by and women are very precious about it and it is earned. It is, yeah. it is there's been a lot of suffering involved in getting that amount of stuff stockpiled. So um <laughs> it is very important that we didn't lose any of it. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, Jeff, this is the most original, like uh apocalyptic survival story I've heard too. Like you rush <laughs> out, gotta save the breast milk. Yeah. For all else. That's yes. the most important well, thing. I think the thing that's most remarkable about that story is the $50 of ice. Uh, <laughs> that is a lot of ice, Jeff. Like, yeah, how, how well, I bought a lot of ice. ice. Bought a lot of ice, but the, but I, you know, 140 characters on Twitter. I, I also bought batteries and, and candles. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't all ice and people really took me to task for the $50 of ice. They thought I'd really just, I live in the most, uh, bourgeois neighborhood of all with the, you know, ice for $10 a bag, Well, how, how but many, it wasn't how cheap. Many ba- yeah. How many bags of ice? How, how many bags is that? 
I, I filled my cooler up with ba- – I think it was uh, six bags of ice. Oh, what? actually, that is really expensive ice. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. But yeah. yeah. Well, I also, like ice? I said, batteries and candles too. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> so uh, glad it all worked out. The power came back on. No one, uh, no one lost their breast milk. So thanks also yeah, to – story does have a positive ending. Uh, Laven, <laughs> we talked a lot about fatherhood on this episode, guys. Yes, I apologize did. to everyone. Uh, thanks also to uh, Levon or Laven Sivanathan uh, and Arthur Wickoff, Nicholas Ewers from Chicago Heights, Illinois. Thanks so much for your donations. Thanks to new subscribers Brandon Lem, Stephen Green, John Cardi, Natasha Brown, Haley Marks, Michael Russell, John Butler, Jacob Chimilar, Shannon McCarthy, and Chris Skourakis. Skourakis, I think. Thanks so much for your yep. donations. Uh, at the rate of $2 per month. If you want to support the Slash Filmcast and help us defray the cost of seeing movies, go to SlashFilm.com, click on the Slash Filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page. You can also go to PayPal.me. That's PayPal.me slash Filmcast. That's PayPal.me slash the word Filmcast to donate money to the show. Uh, thanks for your donations. Thanks for our sponsor this week. Let's move on to our review of The Big Sick. This was fun. Wait, we haven't even had sex again yet. I'm just not that kind of girl. I only have sex once on the first date. I'm just going to call an Uber. <laughs> Your travel will be ready as soon as you put on his pants. Watch and learn, bye. Oh, close. I have to tell you something, bye. I've been dating this girl. She's white. A white girl? Hey, you can't look like you and yell white girl. It's okay. We hate terrorists. That was from the trailer of The Big Sick, the new film directed by Michael Showalter and written by Emily Gordon and Kumail Nanjiani. It stars Kumail Nanjiani, Zoe Kazan, Holly Hunter, and Ray Romano. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A couple deals with their cultural differences as their relationship grows. Uh, pretty ambiguous uh, plot summary there, and we'll try, yeah, to it's pretty vague, good. try to be as vague as possible leading into the, uh, leading into yeah. the spoilers. Don't look at the title. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the title is kind of a spoiler for what happens in the movie. Uh, but anyway, guys, uh, I had a chance to see The Big Sick. Uh, I think it was the opening night film at the Seattle International Film Festival this year. Had a great time. Jeff, I saw your rapturous reviews on Twitter for this movie. Uh, what did you love about The Big Sick? Everything. Um, I should stay, say right at the top, uh, I sort of a little bit kind of know uh, Kumail and Emily. Um, mm-hmm. Emily has been a guest on my show DLC and uh, I'm sort of friendly with those guys. So I'm probably not completely objective here, but I adore this movie. I adore it. Um, it made me cry. It made me laugh, guffaw uh, <laughs> with with uh, many, many moments. Uh, it is wonderful. It's full of magic. It's a sweet, great tale. Uh, it's It's kind of too romantic comedies mashed together and we'll Mm -hmm. talk about what that means uh when we get to spoilers but it is um an honest wonderful human beautiful tale that just also happens to be basically true (laughs) from their lives and uh i'm just so impressed with the writing it's it's sweet it's really funny it has great performances holly hunter is spectacular in it uh, I really love the chemistry between Kumail and Zoe Kazan. Um, I, I there's very few things I could say that I didn't like about the movie. I just, I just, uh, uh, it's such a simple, sweet, beautiful tale that comes from the heart, and 
is about really wonderful people being just trying to be good in their lives and um i i adore it it is um one of the best movies of the year in my opinion how about you Devinder hardware your thoughts on the big sick yeah i uh i love this movie like completely i w- was in love with this movie pretty much as soon as it ended but yeah, there's so much about it that's just astounding, right? You think it's a traditional romantic comedy until it isn't, and then it becomes a different sort of romantic film. And it's also a film about, you know, South Asian culture and trying to deal with that in America. And it's a film about, like, dealing with that, your parents, when their culture is so very different from yours. And it's also, like, in a great way about uh, an older couple, too, Ray Romano and Holly Hunter. Like, they're in it enough that you get a sense of their relationship and kind of what they're, you know, who they are as people. And I just love them as a couple, too. Like, I totally ship all of that. Uh, so I guess, in a, like, this film is just about a lot of things. And it explores relationships and the problems around relationships in different ways. But I kind of love everything about it. Like, uh, I yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, I'm thinking like as soon as I got out of this movie too, like I'm thinking like this this movie has freaking Oscar potential. Like this movie is so good, I would love to see this being talked about either as like best original screenplay thing. Um, I was even feeling best picture coming out of this. I was just glowing after this movie, and there is definitely some stuff to talk about in spoilers. But yeah, if you can see this, go see it immediately. Yeah, uh, I think you know, best original screenplay is definitely uh, possible. I feel like best picture is really uh, out there. There's been very few romantic comedies that have ever been nominated for best picture. Um, yep. But uh, I think what what this movie does have a chance to become is one of the classic romantic comedy movies. I mean, if you if you can even call it romantic comedy, I feel like that's a very restrictive term, but. You could you could argue that romantic comedy it has a chance mm-hmm. to be one of the best, uh, a, a classic that people talk about decades from now. In my opinion, I really mm-hmm. love this movie. I think it does two things really well. Number one, uh, I think it's really good at portraying a situation where the romance uh, is messy. You know, it's not neat. It's not things don't tie up in a big bow, and it's one where uh, the conflicts are not only atypical, but where uh they are are quite messy they 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 kind of drag out in different time spans they, they nothing resolves mm-hmm. itself in a in a neat way in this movie uh and obviously there is an arc to the movie because it's a regular it's a movie it needs to have an ending that people find somewhat satisfying but it's also a, a movie that's not afraid to depict love in all of its messy glory and how yeah. People can love each other at different times, you know, and that you can mm-hmm. fall in and out of love with someone during a relationship. And, and it's all just um, part of dealing with life. And, and it's never really as convenient as you see in the movies. And it's kind yeah. of like an anti-movie uh, in, in that way. Uh, but also the, the second thing that I think the movie does really well is that, um, like you said, Devendra, portraying the immigrant experience in a way that I think is very sensitive and also doesn't um, doesn't take sides. You know, it's one of those situations where I felt like I completely understood the perspective right. of Kumail's parents. And I, I sympathize with them, and I didn't find them to be villainous in any way. I didn't find them to be unsympathetic. I didn't find them to be unreasonable even in their requests. E- everyone feels like they get uh, their turn – 
at the table in this movie from the perspective of like justifying why they uh, believe mm-hmm. what they do. And it has uh, empathy for everyone. Exactly. I think it doesn't judge any of the ideas. Like this is a film that says it brings up arranged marriage in an American romantic comedy type film, you know, and that's something we rarely ever explore. And if you do, you know, we explore one side of it, which is, uh, you know, th- there are issues to talk about there around that and what that means for a woman's choice and things like that uh, in South Asian cultures. But as it's done in America in a way like this, where it's basically just a parent trying to, you know, find a suitable mate for your kid, uh, for their kid, because let's face it also, how many shows are about people just like struggling to find, you know, a partner and they, they think they've solved it. And I think logically it kind of makes sense for them. So I love that about this movie for sure. Also, I, I want to say how just wonderfully cast this movie is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think that Master of None is very charming in that it uses um, uh, Ansari's actual parents as his parents. It's, it's a very charming choice. But casting his parents with these actors, it, it, it is, you know, I, I just, I thought his, his Kumail's parents in this movie were so wonderfully realized and just great casting of the actors. And it just made me compare those two things, you know, obviously. But the guy who played his father, by the way, is a big freaking deal. Like he's been in hundreds of films. He is a huge star uh, internationally. So the fact that just seeing him here playing a doting immigrant father, it kind of warmed my heart in a way because we've seen him in all sorts of things, too. Anupam Kerr, who has Anupam Kerr, yeah, uh, has over four hundred acting credits. Um, so I bear. So apparently, what Kumail kept pointing out is this is his five hundredth film. Oh. Wow! So what a way to like cap that off, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so overnight success, this guy, huh? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, I think it's obvious we all really enjoyed the movie. Do mm-hmm. we have spoilers to talk about? I some spoilers before we get there. I just want to say, I, this movie exists and it's so unique. I think it just shows like I want to point to this movie when people don't understand why I talk about things like getting more diverse writers involved in things and getting people in color, people of color involved in projects like the the fact that this show is about somebody's life who is very different than most, you know, most romantic comedy stories like that alone makes it unique. And uh, the fact that this film does so many new things with so many with genres that we've kind of grown used to. And it's hard to see something new and fresh. I think that alone shows like this is how diversity kind of helps things too. All right. Let's move into spoilers for the big six starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. You're going to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. So I was struggling to describe this without getting to spoilers mm-hmm. earlier in the review, but I really loved the fact that uh, after uh, Zoe Kazan's character, Emily, comes out of the coma, that it wasn't just like, oh, uh, wow, you were such an awesome person, therefore I love you again, you know? Right, right. right. That, that people can be in love with each other at different times, and often uh, that like, like a relationship can... Uh, can hinge on whether people love each other at the same time. I was listening yeah. to uh, sh- uh, Sharon Horgan talk about uh, the movie, uh, the show Catastrophe on um, uh, on Fresh Air, 
And she made reference to a quote from someone else. I don't remember who it was, but she said like uh, that she had heard from some grandmother or grandfather, like the reason I didn't divorce your your mom is because we we didn't want to divorce at the same time or something right. like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, right. like <laughs> that, that sometimes like a relationship can just hinge on whether or not the timing is correct. And I like that this movie showed that sometimes the timing is not always right and uh, it can be off. And of course they, they ended up getting together and, you know, that's, that's fine. But, mm-hmm. uh, there was a, a process to get to that point. It wasn't just like she woke up and, oh, everything's fine yeah. now, you know? And I love that she actually mentions that too. Like to her, this is all kind of sudden, right? right? To her, like she had just collapsed and these weeks of like bonding between Kumail and her parents never happened. Yeah, she and that's right. such she had an... just broken up with him and then went into a yeah. coma and then like didn't experience any of that other stuff, yeah. you know? So that's such an honest thing to say too. Like I, I, I love the fact that Emily Gordon was involved in writing this too, because I, this is the kind of perspective we don't always see too in a film like this. It's like, uh, I, I think in a typical movie, the girl would wake up and she would remember like, Oh man, he did all these nice things for me. He made me this picture board of like all his, uh, all his visitor passes and I'll, I'll fall in love with him because of that. Right. It's, it's so sweet. Uh, but it's always more complicated than that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's wonderful. It's, it's so interesting structurally too, that it, it's this romantic comedy. And then one of the members of the romantic comedy just sort of departs the movie and it becomes mm-hmm. a new romantic comedy with the, him and the parents. Yep. And it, and we start back from ground zero of all of the romantic comedy tropes where he's learning to like them. They're learning to like him. And it's, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's so interesting that they now <laughs> fall in love with each other and she <laughs> has to be reconvinced when she wakes up. It's just a it's such a beautiful idea for a movie yeah. in, in, in how structurally that all comes together. And just break so many rules too, right? Of like screenwriting rules of never introduce important characters so late in the film. Right. You never do that, except in the story, this is kind of how it played out, and then maybe it it works. Like it didn't feel distracting to me. And Ray Romano and Holly Hunter did so much with those characters in their beautiful. screen time. So, so good. So good. I just it, it's so yeah, Ray Romano. By the way, if you haven't been watching him on like the drama stuff he's been doing, like he, yeah. even in Parenthood, like the dude is great. killing it. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, from a screenwriting perspective, uh, there are so many things that they did so deftly. There's mm-hmm. a, a sequence with uh, Ray Romano and Holly Hunter that I was just like. You know, that thing in Wayne's world where you bow down and go, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. It's such a beautiful, beautiful moment of screenwriting where she uh, starts getting mad at him and says something and he goes, oh, we're doing the greatest hits now. I think I can write the rest of this argument on my own. Mm. And we don't know anything about them, but now Mm. we know everything about them. We know like it's such a beautiful, honest way that people – argue where it's like we've done this a million times and movies so rarely do that they'll they'll make that moment because all the screenwriting books say if you're watching a moment it needs to be we need it needs yep. to be vital it needs we have to know we have to see this moment it has to be the first time this has happened or the biggest time this has happened or whatever and for them to get in that fight and the fight is immediately diffused when he does that but it also reveals so much about their dynamic like they do this that's she is this and he's that and that's how they interact with each other and when they've done it a thousand times and it feels like 
uh, you know, arguments I've gotten into with my wife where it's like, oh, okay, well, it's the same thing we've said a thousand times, so we don't even need to do it anymore. And that mm -hmm. it's, it, I just thought it was so beautiful, man. I, I loved it. Yeah, and the way their personalities kind of uh, counteracted each other, Ray Romano and Holly Hunter's personalities, like, he is the quieter, more docile one, and she is, like, the one who's quick to get angry and the fiery yeah. one, too. Like, I just love how, I guess, their relationship, and this is, I haven't read the interviews and everything, so I know Kamel changed quite a bit uh, between real life and this film. Uh, but, yeah, just the way it reflects their own relationship and, like, two very different people trying to come together in a relationship, I thought that was kind of beautiful, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so many wonderful moments. The, the moment where he uses her thumb to unlock her phone and he says, I'm sorry. <laughs> just so great. So great. Oh, oh, man. I, I think that the moment that really got to me in the movie was, uh, like I said, regarding the immigrant experience when he says, he asks his parents, why did you bring me here if mm -hmm. you didn't? You know, if you wanted me to live in the old ways, and right. that's definitely something I've experienced with my parents. You know that they yeah. they've wanted me to uh, have certain lifestyle, make certain lifestyle choices, and and behave in certain ways, and uh, I have not. And and it took me a long time to understand why I was so frustrated, and the reason why is because I didn't understand why they brought me here if they right, wanted me right. to just live as though I was back in Taiwan, which is where I was born. <laughs> this is Mark Ronson with his incredible new album, Late Night Feelings. Featuring the hit singles, Late Night Feelings and Nothing Breaks Like a Heart. Mark Ronson, Late Night Feelings, out Friday. And um, and I think it's a it's a challenging like it's a challenging world for the uh, people who who grew up here the the uh, immigrant kids who grew up here like first or second generation, but mm -hmm. in in many ways it's even more challenging for the parents you know uh, it, it's such an interesting um, story they have to, to this decision to move to a new country with very little and try to build a life there that's something I can barely comprehend doing. And yet, at the same time, it's like, okay, well, you know, why, why, um, why still adhere to the old ways? It's just, just right. the way they've always known. And um, so, I was, uh, what I was trying to say is that for for kids growing up here who who immigrated, it's challenging. But for the parents, it's probably even more tough. Like they're probably yeah. even more trapped between worlds. And yeah, uh, and I think you see that in in this movie. And I like that. There is, there was no easy solution, at least in the movie. I mean, in the movie, <laughs> mm -hmm. they don't reconcile by the end, right? Like, I thought that was kind of a bold choice too, yeah. to, to not have a neat bow with the parents. And there's that really sweet moment of of love, and you get the sense that they still love him, and and he's, yeah. you know. But while you're being shunned, I will make you your favorite biryani, and exactly. that is that is so perfect. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, too. I don't yeah. know, you know, to, uh, like. I know kids who, um, like friends I grew up with, who were mm -hmm. disowned by their parents because of the yep, choices same. That they made. You yeah. know? I don't know how widespread that is among people who aren't immigrants, who are white. You know, I don't know how often that happens, but it happens pretty often, you know, in immigrant communities. And to see it depicted on screen was very meaningful, uh, and <laughs> shows that, like, and what I love about it is, as I said earlier, you, you empathize with them. You, I don't feel yeah. like they were the bad guys. Kumail, in some ways, is being unreasonable. He is being an asshole yeah. in some ways. And right. I, I appreciated that it, it was able to show you all sides of the issue. 
You know, because a, a lot of things, yeah. they, they only wanted a few things. They only wanted him to, it's not like they were asking him to not, I mean, they, ideally they wouldn't want him to be a comedian, but you know, right. it's not like they were asking him for, for a list of 50 things, right? They were asking him for, hey, just marry. Just, just one lifetime just commitment. Just one thing. And, um, you know, I can understand why. Yeah, yeah just this one lifetime commitment, right? <laughs> I, I think um, it was that final scene with the parents where that just cemented like how, tremendous this movie is because yeah the i also know people who've been disowned by their parents but also uh, sometimes it's just like a light shunning sometimes it's like that's right yeah Yeah. you piss off your parents you do something and sometimes a lot of the the story of like being an immigrant kid is that sometimes you gotta like put your foot down and just be like okay i'm here and i'm gonna do this i'm gonna make these choices as an adult and I'm going to suffer the consequences for that with my family and whatever. And that's something I've dealt with. I know people who've dealt with a lot more of that. Uh, and the fact that this movie does that final scene and the father comes and they have that moment of connection. The mother is still there, not like refusing to look at him, but she made his favorite biryani. And that just kind of broke my heart a little because like she made it perfectly. But she also is adhering to the social structure that she's known this whole time. So I love that balance. I love that that's there. And uh, yeah, just want to say like that there's so much in this movie that we never get to see. We never we rarely get to see the ideas to of somebody who still identifies as Muslim, but is not praying and is not doing the normal things. But at the same time, this movie shows like it also doesn't demonize devout people at all. And I think that's important, too. It doesn't demonize the idea of arranged marriage or at least the way arranged marriage works in more modern countries where it is basically like a dating service run by your parents. Um, like the brother and his wife who, and they, you know, I wish uh, the brother's wife got to say more because I believe she's an actress. I've seen other things too, uh, but they seem happy and they're portrayed happily. Like there's none of that where she is a victim of her circumstances or anything. Like it's all pretty respectful. And it's all done in a way that I think really makes you think about like, you know, why a culture would even do this in the first place. So I love all of that. And yeah, I love that this movie exists guys. Like it's, it's so, is perfect to me on so many ways. We have uh, we have friends whose parents uh, are an arranged marriage um, Indian parents, mm. uh, and they are the most in love people I have ever known. <laughs> they are like they're they. It's crazy how good their it marriage is, is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and then you look at also like uh, I don't know modern divorce rates, and you know, yeah. Other other countries like eh, maybe they're onto something. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, the movie doesn't make any judgments. It just kind of portrays all this all sides really well. And I kind of love that. And another funny thing, too, it doesn't really end where their real story ended. Right. Where he had to propose for them to stay together. Like the movie right. ends in a very like perfect in, in a very indie movie way too, like in a in like a before sunset kind of way where it's just like leaving on the moment where you kind of hope something will happen. And it's yeah. kind of hopeful, but you don't quite know. But imagine if they did go with the full, the actual story. I, I almost feel like people would not believe that he had to do that. Right. Yeah. I do. And think... the real story, by the way, is that he he proposed to stay with her. Uh, yeah. at whose behest, Devendra? Uh, I don't. I'm not. I'm a little fuzzy on that. Uh, I've been hearing their story on and off because I've listened to Kamel's podcast and you know with Emily for a while. Uh, but I believe the way it turned out was for him to stay with emily they pretty much had to get married and he just went to his parents with like i am marrying her this is it <laughs> like this is how our relationship is going and i would have been i would have been amazed if the movie did that but i'm very satisfied with where it ended too 
All right, guys. That's our review of The Big Sick. Uh, it's out in limited release right now. Definitely check it out. Why don't we move on to our review of Spider-Man Homecoming? Finally, here we go. Good evening, Peter. Oh. You have 576 possible web shooter combinations. That is awesome. I can keep that suit? Yeah, it doesn't fit me. When's our next retreat? What, next mission? We'll call you. All right. That's not a hug. I'm just grabbing the door for you. I'm not there yet. All right, kid. Good luck out there. Hey, Peter. You coming tonight? I can't tonight. I got the Stark internship. What's up, guys? Mr. Stark, here's my report for tonight. I stopped the Grand Theft Bicycle. Hey, could you do me a favor? Hold on to that. Does anybody fight? Oh, I helped this old lady, and she bought me a churro. So... That was nice. That was from the trailer of Spider-Man Homecoming. According to IMDb, the plot summary is Peter Parker, with the help of his mentor, Tony Stark, tries to balance his life as an ordinary high school student in New York City while fighting crime as his superhero alter ego Spider-Man when a new threat emerges. This movie is directed by John Watts, and it stars Tom Holland as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, Michael Keaton, Robert Downey Jr., Marissa Tomei, Jean Favreau, Zendaya, Donald Glover, uh, and a bunch of other really talented people. And guys, Spider-Man, back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Amazing. Crazy story. Crazy story. For those who don't know, uh, been, for those who haven't watched any of the Spider-Man movies that have happened in the last 17 years, <laughs> uh, Sony owns the rights to Spider-Man. And they made a series of wildly successful movies starring Spider-Man directed by Sam Raimi, um, Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3. Uh, Toby Maguire played Spider-Man, and those movies made so much money. But uh, plans for Spider-Man 4 fell apart, so they're like, hey, we got to keep making movies regularly to hang on to the rights of Spider-Man. So they decided, let's do a reboot. Let's reboot Spider-Man. They did The Amazing Spider-Man with Mark Webb and The Amazing Spider-Man 2 with Mark Webb as well. Andrew Garfield played Spider-Man. Those movies, in my opinion, were terrible. Uh, my God. Amazing Spider-Man 2, unforgivably bad. Uh, Talk about lack of cultural uh, uh, <laughs> consciousness, relevance, right? Relevance. relevance, right? It's like those movies came, they cost hundreds of millions of dollars, and they evaporated. Like, I, I, I forgot Emma Stone was in those movies, guys. Yeah. Like, it, it's insane how much I forgot from those. So uh, there is a cra crazy story of, like, how Amy Pascal, who used to be president of Sony, CEO of Sony, uh, made a deal with Kevin Feige from Marvel, the, the architect of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, and they, they made a deal that was mutually beneficial to both of them. Um, mm. Basically, Marvel would make the movie <laughs> and just be like, why don't you guys let us handle this one? S Sony would keep the rights, but then Spider-Man uh, would continue to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and uh, you know, Marvel would throw in a, a, an Avenger or two into Spider-Man Homecoming as a mm -hmm. bonus, you know? And like, that's kind of the deal that was made. It seems to be working out really well for everyone. Spider-Man Homecoming made $117 million opening weekend. Uh, and it's really well-reviewed critically, much better than The Amazing Spider-Man. Feels like Spider-Man has finally come home, as the title might indicate. <laughs> Jeff Kanata, so curious. What are your thoughts on Spider-Man Homecoming? Oh, David. You know I'm a Marvel zombie from way back, and I have uh, numerous ways for people who might be curious to go back and witness my disappointment in real time over the way Spider-Man has been portrayed on film. 
uh, all the way back to the Totally Rad Show and more recently even on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kanata Jeff. When I talked about, and and on this show too, uh, I talked about Amazing Spider-Man in particular. And I, I know there are members of this very show that have uh, a big uh, a, a lot of a lot of appreciation of the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans. I never liked those movies. Oh I, my god. I, I did not like them. Sam Jeffrey. I am. <laughs> I did not like them on a boat. I did not like them with a goat. I did not like them. Um <laughs> I thought Toby Maguire was a terrible choice for that character and I couldn't get over that. I found so many of the decisions in those movies to be, while they had great moments, certainly great moments. I'm not saying that they were terrible movies. Yeah. Uh, there were a lot of wonderful things in them. Yeah, great uh, moments like all of Spider-Man 2, right? No. I mean, there are some good parts of Spider-Man 2. The take on the character I, I always had a problem with. Right, right. So it was with with great anticipation that I, I felt having Marvel Studios involved uh, would would be finally getting this character how I always dreamed he might be on the big screen. And guys, they did it. <laughs> they did it. I mean, I, I really wasn't worried after see, seeing uh, Captain America Civil War because mm-hmm. that I I'm if you remember, I proclaimed the best Spider-Man movie ever made was called Captain America. And I think that the like 15 minutes that he's in Captain America is better than any of the Spider-Man movies before it. And this further cements the fact that Marvel understands this character, the people that they have creatively working with this well, in this what Marvel cinema. Yeah, what did you feel that Captain America Civil War Spider-Man got right that none of the Raimi films did? There is a moment at the very beginning of this movie. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming that I think sums it up perfectly. And that is uh, right at the very, very, very beginning of this movie. Uh, Happy, the played by John Favreau, asks Peter why he's doing something. Why are you doing that? And he and Peter says, because it's fun. That's not present in any Spider-Man movie up to this point. That. <laughs> That sentiment of Spider-Man, there, I mean, there's a joy in Tobey Maguire discovering his powers in the first Spider-Man, like he's swinging and having a good time. But those movies don't fundamentally, in my opinion, get the, the joy that Spider-Man has in the act of being Spider-Man, in the wisecracking, the, the flipping around, the just wanting to be there, the like right, the, right. the teenage – and because they didn't cast a teenager, right? Tobey yeah. Maguire was what in his thirties when he was doing that those movies. Yeah, and same with Andrew Garfield too. Like this is yeah. our first like vaguely young Spider-Man. Well, I think and Tom it makes Holland a difference. Is, uh, Tom Holland is twenty-one years old, right? Yeah, it's, it's close. It's a much close. a much bigger deal. I mean, he's playing a fifteen-year-old, right? Uh, and, yeah. and and so it's still a stretch, but. And he still I looks think, like a teenager. I think that's the key, too. Tell me yeah, Maguire, well, I, you know, I agree with you that he definitely looks the role more than the other characters. But, yeah, Tobey Maguire was 25 uh, and Tom Holland okay. was 21. You know, so, yeah, yeah. there is there is a difference there. Um, uh, but, you know, I don't I don't think it's I agree. I agree with you guys. But I'm saying, like, it's not that huge of a difference by the by Spider-Man <laughs> three. I I think you're right. Tobey Maguire was getting a bit long in the tooth. For the Spider-Man, yes, but character. he was out of high school then. Like, yeah, he's he not was out of high school, school exactly. by Spider-Man too. Exactly. So exactly. it was less there. But yes, Tom Holland, a character that really looks like he could be in high school. 
And yeah. uh, and that's one of the despite it's his worth like, pointing out. Body. It's worth pointing out because the movie, uh, one of the best things about the movie, I think, is how well it captures high school. Um, well, the, 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 like, the choice does, between high school life and superhero life, you know, for I think like, this isn't a Spider-Man movie. It's a Peter Parker movie. And that's what I think that's what Marvel gets. Right. Is Peter Parker right. is more important than Spider-Man. Peter, Peter, Spider, he puts on the Spider-Man mask, but he's always Peter Parker. It's not like Batman who like becomes the Dark Knight, right? And Bruce Wayne is, is in a box somewhere deep in his psyche. Spider-Man, Peter Parker is, it, this is a movie about Peter. The, the, honestly, the biggest criticism I would have for this film is that the action isn't particularly memorable or exciting, mm. but that's because this movie is about heart and the big set pieces are, character set pieces they're not they're not action set pieces i mean there are action set pieces right, right. but they're not none of them have the panache that uh sam raimi's did none of them are as kinetic and interesting and exciting as any given scene from those movies like the doc ock flipping a car through the through the oh, uh, cafe yeah. window all the that they are punching in the doc ock scene guys like i yeah. flash back to how great that is sometimes. there's just, honestly just out of the I, blue I, I will concede that there is nothing in these movie in this movie in Homecoming that is even remotely as cool as that. There is nothing in Homecoming that is as cool as anything in Captain America Civil War. The, this movie is kind of I don't know, perhaps it, it, it could have benefited from a more action oriented director that could have added it's less of that spectacle that, that, that makes sense yeah but it is absolutely not concerned with that as much as it's concerned with getting the character right and being about heart and like that that is what's much more interesting peter's internal life his conflict with the girl he's into with his studies the movie makes so many really awesome choices and, and it honestly actually does some really bold things with the character, mm -hmm. which we can get into in spoilers. But it the thing that I love so much about it is, I mean, I started crying in this movie when I heard the freaking, uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, like done as the theme. <laughs> at the, the beginning. I was the like, Chikino oh, Spider-Man. Yeah. That's so wonderful. But like, I teared up a few times just because, I mean, there's a moment, very specific moment I want to talk about in spoilers that, mm -hmm. that I think nails it again. And, and anyway, I loved it. I'm so happy that Spider-Man is finally being done in a way that I love, I, I find to be right. And it makes me excited about who he is and what he meant to me when I was growing up. Uh, and it doesn't feel just like an excuse for action sequences. It really does have more there. And, um, I'm I'm super excited to see where this franchise goes. The oh, and, and Michael Keaton is amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Avenger Hardware laid on us. Uh, I do think Jeff is dead wrong about the Sam Raimi Spider-Man, but uh, I understand your loyalties lie maybe more towards the comics and other things. Uh, I love the first two Sam Raimi Spider-Mans. I think, you know, Spider-Man 3 was a disappointment. Uh, there are things in that movie that, I think that are really interesting, but you could also tell he was tired of it and they just kind of wanted to, he just didn't have much else to do with the character. And I think he didn't get to do his vision of venom that he wanted. I remember the uh, other villains were kind of forced on him when he just wanted to do a venom or no, he didn't want to do venom. I remember that. Like he, he just treated venom with such contempt. Uh, but anyway, there are elements of Spider-Man three that I think still work. Uh, but Spider-Man two for me is still one of the greatest superhero movies ever made. 
you know, that movie holds up from the action to the characters, so much of it. Like, and I've been waiting. I, I think we've gotten there, uh, you know, with some of the other um, Marvel films. But this one, to me, feels at least on the same level. I'm going to have a hard time choosing which one is better. But I think this is a perfect portrayal of Spider-Man, but also a great portrayal of a high school student who's faced, who has to deal with, like, this insane responsibility. Um, it is a great view of like new york i think it portrays new york so well it gets Queens so right it gets what a high school in queens would look like today which is incredibly diverse and uh you know that that's all like all of that just kind of it warmed my heart it did everything right and um you know jeff what you're saying like yeah there aren't as many big i guess highly choreographed action set pieces as like the other movies and i think that kind of makes sense given that this is his like uh he, he's he's doing his training right now right he's he's just beginning but the big set pieces that are there the uh there's a thing with the satin island fairy and there's something later on that i think are big and bold and show like use the character's powers in unique ways so i think that to me that is much more useful uh rather than like a big glowing uh you know a glowing ray that's going to destroy the world or something like action that means something to these characters it's all like that is so much more important and yeah overall this movie just really works even though a crap ton of people have been i think over 10 credits on the script right now it feels so cohesive even though it is a product of like so many hands trying to get this right uh tom holland is great michael keaton is fantastic and probably the best villain we've gotten in the marvel universe so far um i I think since loki yeah definitely since loki yeah yeah but i think he's even he's much better than loki like loki as much as we love to hate loki and like he became like a character that yeah yeah we love to hate loki he always did feel like a petulant child to me and what i love about michael keaton's character is that even early on like this movie begins with him we understand like where he's coming from he's just the guy who's trying to like provide for his family and fucking tony stark is like you know making his life hell and that is such a legitimate viewpoint too like i feel for him and i felt for him all the way through he's a guy pushed to do bad things worse and worse things uh sometimes outside of his control but he just kind of i guess goes with it in a way but he's such a sympathetic villain and he's also a great mirror to peter parker as both like the little guys in this like you know in a world where there are freaking gods running around uh peter parker's not getting much respect at this point and uh michael keaton's character vulture really isn't either um yeah like yeah you know you know dave you you talk about the uh reconnaissance uh of all the assances the keaton assance is my favorite wasn't it you you that told me you can't just assance everything yeah well that's what i'm trying to tell you is that (laughs) that, that you are the man with assances and i'm saying that this assance if you're gonna assance something it's Keaton Assange, dude. It's happening. It's real. It's I, I, exciting. I do think it's pretty interesting that Michael <laughs> Keaton starred in a movie in which he won the best picture. You know, he's a producer yep. on Birdman. Uh, that was a movie in which he tried to explain to the his character, I should say, mm-hmm. Riggins, tried to explain to the world that uh, there was more to life and art than big superhero movies. And I believe right. uh, Inuritu, right, who directed that movie, uh-huh. um, he hates these kinds of movies, I, I, if, I, <laughs> if I recall correctly. And I, the, I, I just have this vision of Inuritu like, sitting front row Spider-Man, <laughs> just scoffing, scoffing at all the joy in this movie. <laughs> well, it gets worse. Isn't he doing a movie with a One Direction kid? <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it just he yeah. went from he went from uh, that movie where he he talked about how oh I used to be in the superhero movie about this guy that flies through the air. Yeah, 
uh, to find me, man. To, to, to now find my career. He's actually going. He's in. He's in the bird suit again. Love um, it. Different kinda, bird suit. Love though. it. Different, so different kind of bird suit. I, I think. Kind of uh, I, I agree. This is the best villain since Loki, and I think one thing that makes him great is uh, he is actually. I, I would argue the most relatable Marvel villain yeah. ever. Right? So sympathetic. He's yeah. the, he's the only Marvel villain where I can understand why someone would behave in that way you know well why, i can understand guy from civil war as well i thought he was a really creative villain but he was so like he didn't have much of a personality to him he just had a really good plan that's that's pretty much right it. and, and well, just it's... the the idea that this movie takes uh you know uh, the the reality of the avengers seriously to some mm-hmm. extent of that you know of like there's people there might be people who are anti avengers basically uh, right. and not even for any reason not not even for ideological reasons for practical reasons right <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. that just like oh they cause a lot of mess in the uh in the city and and because of this contract that got messed up now uh yeah. Now my life's ruined, you know? Uh, I mean, that, that, that is modern day villainy, right? People who create the mess and then are paid to clean it up. That is something that exists today. And we, we hate those people generally. But what if that guy is Iron Man? Cause that's the sort of thing he would do, I guess. The other thing that it gets really, really right. And, and this is a little bit different than even Vulture in the comic books. And by the way, they take great liberties with that character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think all to great success, um, is, the, so much of of Spider-Man's rogue gallery are these like blue collar villains, and I love the fact that this dude is like blue collar Green Goblin. You know, he really is. He's like this working dude, and you don't ever really see that in these in these superhero movies. You know, this is right, this yeah. is a really a, a working man's supervillain, which is awesome. <laughs> even I mean, even uh, I, there's another villain who shows up who's even more blue collar. Right? They, we just get the name. Of somebody yeah. who's a who's a well-known Spider-Man villain, but he's literally just a dude with a, a powerful thingy. That's all. So this movie totally gets that idea too. Uh, I think this movie did a, a bunch of things really well. It, it captured the camaraderie, the chemistry between those high school students in, in mm-hmm. a way that I thought was really appealing. Uh, I, I you know I don't remember if it's twenty-one Jump Street or twenty-two twenty-one Jump Street, right? Where they go back to this. It's you know they infiltrate the high high school. But uh-huh. instead of jocks being the bullies, it's the nerds who are the bullies. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this yes. movie did the same thing. Tony Revolori, who played um, Flash. Main, uh, Flash, who's also the main uh-huh. character in Grand Budapest Hotel, he's a bully in this movie. But he's also on the academic decathlon team with Peter Gotta Parker. Love it. You know? Gotta Which love is, it. Like, it's but also, so great. Like, this is... This is a New York science high school. Right. And these things are just like filled with nerds, right? So, of course, Flash is super smart too he's not just like the big football player yeah I just, it's I also just that, he gets that perfectly i just love the that, that he's like the... a dick he's just a dick to him but not because dick. he's like a, a jock or even from a different social yeah. you know structure he's just he just happens to be a dick go ahead jeff well, well but... i have also known many of those intellectual uh you know jerks too who kind of That's, wield the same yeah. thing yeah. yeah it's called the internet yeah um yeah. <laughs> but what I love about that, what what 21 Jump Street was doing with that is commentary, right, about how things have changed. Mm-hmm. And I loved that for that. I thought that was a, a brilliant spot on piece of commentary. And, it's, and it totally holds true. What I think Spider-Man is doing with that is not really commentary, more like a subtle reinforcement to all of the young kids that are watching this movie that mm-hmm. it, it really is about like smart kid – being smart is awesome – but it doesn't do it in a heavy-handed way. It's just like this just underlying base assumption that we all make that 
being smart is 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 cool is what even the coolest people there do it's like i love just that assumption that's just base level assumption that's that yeah you know knowing stuff isn't dumb or dorky it's awesome and that's just mm-hmm. the way of the world fucking love that yeah 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 a few, few other things the movie does well i've already talked about the villain um talked about the high school characters and yeah i mean look one day, you know, Dave Chen dreams of uh, a Marvel film where, like, you know, uh, you, you know how like the internet went nuts when the Black Panther trailer was released, and it's this car- it's this cast full of these amazing black actors that are just gonna completely right. kick ass when that movie comes out. Uh, one day, Dave Chen dreams that there will be like a a movie starring all Asian people that the you know Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, comes out with. Um, that <laughs> well, won't Iron be... Fist can be. Oh, <laughs> it will not be. It, I, it will not come for many, many years. Probably not even decades. <laughs> but it's something I dream of. All that being said, you know this movie makes an effort. I mean, uh, the main character is white. The main villain is white. But pretty much everyone else is yeah. uh, not white and very diverse. And I love the fact that his best friend is played by like a Filipino actor. Uh, <laughs> and I, so I, I, I good. Could, you know, it's just it's just amazing to see people who uh, are kind of like look like you on screen. It's like an amazing thing. And I, I remember uh, that kind of dude in high school. I remember being that kind of dude in high school, you know, um, and uh, so I love the, the diversity in the cast and, and love that it like represents like it, it actually looks like what New York would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, this wanted... movie has the bodega cat. This movie gets New York, right? Yes. It, it gets all those little moments and it's full. It's a great script. I think too, like a great, like smaller uh, supporting cast members too. Martin stars in this movie. I didn't realize that like going into of, it. Uh, Hannibal Buress. Come Hannibal on. Buress, yeah. That's yeah. So cool. They they cast a lot of uh, of comedians in non comedic roles, which I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah. Although they get to be funny, and uh, this movie, I won't bef- even let's just like, let's just get the spoilers. Spoiler. Let's get the spoilers. Yeah, let's but go. J- Jacob uh, Batalon is the or Batalon is the Filipino yeah. American actor. Um, Perfect guy in Peter's, the chair. Yeah, Peter's best friend. Yeah, the guy in the chair exactly. Uh, and then the last thing I want to point out before we get the spoilers is um, uh, it keeps the stakes small. You know, that's it's yeah. strength and weakness. Uh, well, let's no... get to spoilers and talk about that because yeah. I think that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, last thing, uh, the score. I do miss Dan- Danny Elfman's Spider-Man score. I just thought that was a really iconic piece Look of music. Theme. And yeah. a lot of people in the chat room are really defending Michael Giacchino's work in here. I didn't think it was bad, but I just thought like. I yeah. was rewatching Spider-Man 2 recently, and man, when that theme comes on, it still does yeah. something to me, you know? Like, I, I love Jaquino's work, but it's also, like, after a while, those all those strings, all those horns, like, it all starts to sound, like, very, very similar. And you could say that about Elfman 2, but those Spider-Man themes were very defining. Yeah. Like, I you knew what that it, was. It, you, it was very recognizable, in my opinion. So. Yeah. Anyway, all right, guys, let's do spoilers for Spider-Man Homecoming starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Trying to see this coming. No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. The stakes are small in this movie. No blue mm-hmm. beam in sky. Uh, but that's one of the but weaknesses. Giant of the plane. Movie too. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think that giant plane sequence was pretty bad. I'm just going to put that really? out there. I did not mm. think it was... Well, the, the one good thing about that giant plane sequence uh-huh. is the moment at the end when uh, Spider-Man saves uh, Vulture's oh, life. Man. Like that. But also... That, that it just shows, you know, it just shows like the, the, yeah. there's this humanity and compassion that yeah. Spider-Man has that we're often missing in superhero films like Batman v Superman. Um, <laughs> well, it also shows like how you could do Wonder Woman's Invisible Jet, right? And, and actually make it work in yeah. today's yeah. universe. Yeah. That's a thing. Yeah. Um, the reflective stuffies. Yeah. yeah. So I've seen this movie twice, and I do think, um, like, first of all, I love the the jet stuff at the beginning because, or at the end, because. He does not have the fancy suit anymore. He is just a kid with, you know, you know, the super strength and the, all the all this web stuff. But he, if he falls, he's dead. Like, I did feel like the stakes were really there in the final airplane sequence. And then, like, when it's just like him, like trying to maneuver the jet away from like hitting into buildings like that was all the fact that it was just him and it wasn't the suit. And I think that's an important thing because the suit as cool as, as it is, like there's so much going on there. In a way, the suit kind of robs the character of what makes him Spider-Man. In a way, like, but at least in Raimi's movies, right? It was just—he's just a kid. He's a kid who was kind of on his own. He had no support, and like, he had to face all these supervillains. Like, he just had to learn it all the way. The one thing Raimi's movies gave him was organic web shooters, so he wouldn't have to like, you know, mix the solution all the time. But here, like, we get basically Iron Man 2.0, right? He has the AI. He has all the gadgets. He has so much stuff going on. Uh, he is safe if he falls. He can glide. Uh, what I love about that final sequence, he has none of that. And I love that they gave us, he gave, the movie gives him all those powers and then takes them away. And then when he really needs it, he doesn't have it. So yeah, on that level, I think it works quite well. Yeah, I have so many things I want to say. Um, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. First, first of all, I love the the way it's the inverse of every other Spider-Man movie where mm-hmm. Every Spider-Man movie, or at least origin story Spider-Man movie, he starts with the shitty costume and gets an awesome one, and then the final <laughs> the final fight yes. is in the awesome costume. And this movie literally him. literally does yeah. the inverse of that, yeah. uh, which is I think a brilliant meta commentary. Um, I think I, I you guys talked about uh, his his little man in chair. This movie, you know, they talked about how it, this isn't an origin story movie. It's an origin story for man in chair. It's a man in chair <laughs> origin story movie. Which is which is which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what else was I gonna say? There's like it is six an MJ origin story too, which is kind of those are fun. I don't little think it's Mary Jane though. I, I don't I don't think that's who we're supposed to think it is. But well, I mean, you don't you don't give her that little nod to MJ at the end. Like I think that is you know you also don't cast Zendaya in a movie like this and not have her be like the main love interest in the next one. Like, oh, I think she's going to be the main be. love interest. I just don't think she's supposed to be Mary Jane Watson. I mean, she's her name's Michelle. I think it's going to be an yeah. interesting. It's an interesting nod. Yeah. Uh, and it's a bold move. It's a bold move to make it so much about a suit and have the suit yes. be able to do so many things. Yeah. Potentially dangerous move. You know, it really mm-hmm. isn't how the character has been traditionally. But I loved it. I thought it worked. I was getting a little nervous when it was showing like all the 48 different yeah. um, different web types. I was like, oh, no, what is this? This is like the okay. video gamification of, of, of Spider-Man. Although I've heard but, from some comic fans that he does eventually get some sort of capability like that. So. Right. But but, yeah. but I think more to more to your point, Dave, of um, how small scale can be cool. I, I think that this movie's thesis statement in a lot of ways is that you know, overall in, in the sense that the last thing we see him do is literally turn down the 
Avengers level stuff. He's going to be your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And I think that's not just a, a plot point. I think that is a comment to the audience that like, yeah. this is where Spider-Man is going to live for us. We as Marvel understand where he's supposed to be. And this is where he's going to be. AKA and, with Sony for a long time. <laughs> well, yeah, but oh. I mean, I think, I, I think it's more importantly, that's right for the character, right? He's the street mm-hmm. level guy. He, he's, uh, hanging out in Queens over the rooftops. He's not an Avenger. I mean, he has yeah. been an Avenger, right? But I just, he's still I thought a kid. it was he, like, he's made so many, like, even though he's trying to help people, I think like his inexperience led to the freaking Staten Island ferry being cut in half. Like right. there are so many things where, yeah, he, he's trying to help. And sometimes he causes more damage than he really wants to. But also the suit he has right now is like, yeah, pretty damn awesome right he doesn't need the ultimate suit yet and you can still have him be friendly neighborhood spider-man with the super smart ai suit powered by tony stark technology it's a Uh, little it's a little (laughs) bit i mean i can buy a a giant suit of armor yeah having all kinds of crazy stuff in it like tights <laughs> with all kinds tight. of crazy. Yeah, it's a little oh, man. How did, how technology. Did, how did his like? Uh, how does his old school like uh, janky <laughs> suit have the ability for the eye holes to move? That was my question. You know, did it move? Yeah, the, it eye, the eye holes like got bigger and smaller. You know, like in, in the way that the <laughs> the uh, special suit does as well. Uh-huh. Uh, I just thought, why did he build in the thing for the eye holes? Anyway, hey man, he, um, he's a smart kid. It's the best, and honestly, that is the best innovation that they brought to Spider-Man. It gives him so much emoting power in the suit. You don't have to come up with arbitrary reasons for the mask to get ripped off, which every fucking Spider-Man movie has done because yeah. you can't see the emotion of the actor underneath. But having the eyes be able to emote like that. Is was such a good move, such a good move. Uh, mm-hmm. The other thing I want to say is, I really assumed when we heard that Robert Downey Jr. was going to be in this movie that it was going to be very much a Spider-Man, Iron Man buddy picture, and he is barely in this movie. Yeah, and in I it for like I was ten minutes. You know, very surprised yeah. by that. But very also surprised. all support too, and I actually yeah. think um, the way this movie is setting up uh, Tony Stark almost feels like you know we haven't heard anything about Uncle Ben. Actually, we don't know if Uncle like I think we're supposed to assume from some of the stuff in Civil War that Uncle Ben died, but the movies never mention him. Uh, the director apparently doesn't have a good answer to that, too, because a lot of people have asked him about that. Um, the artist Ali Moss on Twitter pitched a really interesting idea. Uh, it almost feels like Tony Stark is being set up as this uncle surrogate right now and what if what if that moment that we're waiting for hasn't even happened yet mm. Whoa, you know, what, what if, if Tony what Stark if that dies? is that is because he's not going to be around we know he's not going to be around forever we know some crazy shit's going to go down in the next avengers movie and what if that is like the turning point we're waiting for so it tony is, stark is uncle ben yeah. yeah it is remarkable that you know uh if you had said uh when spider-man won sam raimi came sam raimi's came out you know and made over 100 million dollars <laughs> opening weekend that one day Iron Man would eclipse that character in popularity, yep. Yep. Uh, you'd say to that person, you're insane. You know, like, it just is inc- incredible that Iron Man is now a more valuable property, such that, such that he's had to be marketed. Every single trailer and poster has had Iron Man in it. Um, <laughs> Those were such simpler times, right? Look at all the musical stars in the first Spider-Man, guys. How could anything be bigger than that? Look who we got to sing in our movie. Yeah. Uh, I Several, several more things to say about that but um i i'm actually really glad that it wasn't a tony stark peter parker oh agreed. Uh, yeah, buddy, agreed buddy yeah, yeah, yeah 
And I think that they really served the character by focusing so much on, on his life and his struggles and his friendships and, and the, the people in his life. And there's so many wonderful moments with all of the, the kids, like all of the kids that are his uh, contemporaries, um, you know, MJ gets so many great moments and lines. She is really fun and unexpected in this movie. His friend, best friend is so fun and unexpected in this movie. Uh, and, and one of the moments that I love the most in this, in this movie is when he goes to that dance or party at her house, Uh the house party and, uh, is, you know, suits up and is sitting outside and is, almost going to do the Sam Raimi dance scene where he goes in and he's awesome and is uses his powers. For, this is not the point of the character, Jeff, but okay. okay. That, that's scene. right. It's <laughs> Sam Raimi did that, right? He did use the powers for that way. And I love that Marvel is, <laughs> is basically saying, fuck you. No, Peter <laughs> is smart enough to know that's not how you use your powers. He's, already gotten to that point where you he knows that's not what it's for and i just i loved that and i know he gets distracted and goes off and saves saves people but also he wasn't going to go in there he's sitting outside going i know i'm not supposed no, to he do was this. really i mean come on like there, there was the thing there was the high school thing that happened like uh there was a defining point to actually where I think it was Flash who was making fun of him. He was like, oh, yeah, I got to go do this. Like, he was going to do the high school kid thing until he saw the explosion. We can't, no. we can't ever really know. He was he sitting was outside going, I out. know I'm not going to. He, you know, he we was... don't know. We don't know. That's, that's all I can say. Like, he was ready to jump. He could have been ready to jump in. We don't know. Uh, all right, guys. <laughs> I want to point out a couple of uh, Easter eggs in the movie. Uh, kind mm-hmm. of just talking about some of the little bonus things. Firstly, uh, there is a lot of buzz online about the fact that Donald Glover plays Aaron Davis in the right. movie, who mm-hmm. I believe is the uncle of Miles Morales, right? The, yeah. uh, He's the, the prowler. His, yeah, the black, uh, Hispanic Spider-Man that, that mm-hmm. takes over for Peter Parker, um, mm-hmm. in the comics. So potentially one day we could get a Mar- Miles Morales, uh, that is Spider-Man. a weird way. Yeah. That is a weird way to start to tease Miles Morales, but okay. He does mention his nephew at one point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I like, uh, I think it's super so, cool because, uh, just, just to, just to be super clear on that. If people don't mm-hmm. know the backstory, uh, the only reason Miles Morales exists is because Donald Glover before Aaron, uh, Andrew Garfield was cast yep. had put, put out into the world that maybe he was interested in playing Spider-Man. And of course, racism exploded all over the internet uh and brian michael bendis who is the writer on ultimate spider-man at the time uh thought it was actually an awesome idea for uh donald glover to play spider-man and thought well why don't we just make him make a black spider-man so that people will shut the fuck up (laughs) and that's how miles morales got created so now here we are coming full circle circle. to Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. To having him actually play, and it's sadly he's too old to play Miles Morales, but he's taken play, so long. <laughs> yeah, he can play his uh, his uncle, which is pretty cool, and and his uncle plays a very very big part in the origin of of Miles uh, becoming right. Spider-Man. So I'm I'm looking forward. To, yeah, I don't know much about the origin of Miles, but I was actually a little disappointed that Donald Glover got such like a just like yeah kind of uh, straight up uh, gangster role. Like that's it. He didn't have much chance to do anything. Although that one interrogation scene. I do think was a lot of fun. It was that, fun. that felt like that was like a nod to Batman voice too, in a way. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
couple of other things I uh, wanted to mention. Uh, firstly, uh, Greg Vellante, who writes for EdgeMediaNetwork.com, uh, a critic I knew from Boston, wrote this description of the movie that I really appreciated. He said, quote, The movie asks what a high school set in this superhero-populated universe would look like, and then answers that question with delightful dividends, like a group of girls sitting on the bleachers during gym class playing Fuck, Marry, Kill using members of the Avengers. There's also a running <laughs> gag where Captain America delivers PSA-style educational videos with Chris Evans delivering killer lines like, So, your body's changing, huh? I know what that's like. How do you How make perfect a mo- is that, by the way? The, the like, sit, flipping the chair around, sitting down, perfect PSA, and then Hannibal Buress is like, uh, isn't he a war criminal now? Yes. Whatever. My, my favorite my favorite moment of that is when he, he points to, I'm standing here with your gym coach, and he points, and the guy's standing on the wrong side of the TV for it to work. <laughs> yeah. It's just oh, so perfect. It gets awkward PSA, right? It, get, it gets, like, awkward school kid newscast. Yeah. right yeah. too like yeah. it, it gets all those little moments things i love um so there's been some discussion of what exactly the end credits sequence means there's a mm-hmm. obviously two end credit sequences but one of them features uh vulture in jail right talking with um uh mcdonald gargan right uh played by michael mando uh, yeah that's the scorpion Right. In the comics. And uh, he talks to him and like, asks him where Spider-Man is, and he says, if I knew, he'd be dead, basically, right? Michael Keaton like, doesn't disclose who Spider-Man really is. Right. Kevin Feige has explained his interpretation of the ending. He says, quote, um, uh, this basically is just meant to show that uh, Toombs was not a horrible guy, had found himself in this position, and realized this kid had saved his daughter. This kid saved his yeah. own life. He wouldn't yep. even be alive if it wasn't for this kid. And in that moment where he had the opportunity to rat him out and have a guy go after him, he decides to keep the secret because he appreciated ultimately what Peter did for him. He's one of the few villains to survive a movie, and I think you appreciate it. So that's um, that's yep. from an article at SlashFilm.com called Let's Talk About That Spider-Man Homecoming Credit <laughs> Scene, written by Brad Oman. Uh, but I uh, thought that was uh, an interesting... Probably one of the better post-credit sequences in the MCU. That's my takeaway, too. And I also cannot wait for Michael Keaton in, like, a Hannibal Lecter cell or something uh, in, in the next movie. Um, but, guys, we haven't even talked about, like, that one holy fuck moment yes, in this movie. Exactly. Where freaking opens the door, and it's Michael Keaton, and it's her father, and... Like, did, your, yeah. did your audience like shit yeah. itself when that happened? Yeah. That, that happened yeah, to me as well. Times. It's so it's so good. It's <laughs> it's one of those <laughs> oh reveals in a movie that totally works. You don't see it coming. It makes complete sense, yeah. and it it you have the exact same reaction that Peter Parker does. It's yeah. so great. Well, my it's first so reaction was did did this guy go in and like kill his girl or yeah. take his girlfriend hostage yeah. and like found him? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And then, and that's really his first thought too. He's yeah. like, "Wait, what? The danger? Spidey sense? No." <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, no real spidey so sense good. in the movie. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's an incredible moment, and uh, mm-hmm. one of the few times a Marvel film has genuinely shocked me. You know, like there's been yeah. really there's yeah. been a lot of delights in Marvel films. There's been some surprises, but I was stunned because I just did mm-hmm. not see that coming at it's all. It's such so a my, great sequence. I saw it with a I saw it with a press crowd and everybody gasped there and then i saw it again at the alamo with like you know a normal matinee crowd and people started freaking out <laughs> it was like holy shit because it also makes you reconstruct kind of what's happening throughout the movie and it also instantly makes me feel even more sympathetic towards him too but i love how as soon as that door opens the movie changes into something very very different right where very, peter knows dark, what's up like that that conversation in the car yep. in super that conversation in the car oh, is 
is a bigger action set piece than yeah. <laughs> any other moment in the movie. That it, there is more tension, there is more thrill, there's more blood pumping excitement in that moment than in that plane sequence, in the yeah. ferry sequence. I and that to me is what makes this movie special is that Michael Keaton turning around in his chair and talking to a kid is the fucking coolest moment in the movie. Holding a like, gun in his hand like that. Yeah. This movie gets what we love or what's so special about Michael Keaton, right? I think he's always he's one of those comics that has a slightly dark edge. That's what made him perfect for Batman, made him perfect for Beetlejuice. But this movie, like he flips it on a dime. That charm from like doting father to I will fucking kill everybody you love. That one scene like that. It's it's astoundingly great. But even before they got to the car, guys, like the whole just the awkward like, oh, meeting the father of your prom date. Yeah. Like that whole, <laughs> that is ultimate awkwardness. Like, it, it, and Peter Parker all throughout is just like jaw agape. He's not even looking at his date. Like he's just like, so yeah, zoned out by what's happening. That entire sequence was just fantastic. And how cool is it that, I mean, the movie's called homecoming and homecoming literally is the most important mo- moment in the movie. It's it, like, it yeah. works on so many levels. That's really cool. I also want to point out that, the way they handle the vulture, he he really is like blue collar Green Goblin. Right. Yeah. Like all all of the all of the stuff we know about Green Goblin are like he finds out Peter's secret identity. He's like the one villain that knows Peter's secret identity. Check. He's got a a an offspring that's like super good friends with Peter, and it becomes <laughs> awkward when Peter ha- knows and everybody knows except the offspring. Check. You know, like it's really interesting how they sort of transposed yeah. all the green goblin stuff onto a new character. But also I love the fact that the vultureness of him is almost a metaphor in this movie. He's a guy that comes in and picks the scraps mm-hmm. of all of the battles that have happened. He really is like going in after all these dead bodies are gone and picking up the little scraps to get by. I and mean, he he's actually a vulture in function, yeah. which is pretty yeah. neat. Pretty One other thing we've got to talk about, we got to talk about the mm-hmm. big emotional moment of the movie when that building falls on Peter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's a, it's, it's a moment unlike any other really in, in MCU because, uh, he's just a kid. You realize like this is just a kid. He's like a scared yeah. kid in this when movie. When he cries in so that perfect, scene, man. it feels like a kid crying. It doesn't feel like, yeah, a superhero game. It's hurt. such a great thing to have the your main character lose his shit like that. Because it would be <laughs> terrifying, dude. I'd be freaked out too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, this is a, a reference to uh we had a, a viewer or listener who wanted to make sure we didn't miss this. Uh it was a reference to Amazing Spider-Man 33, which uh it's Peter is is being crushed by stuff and finds it within himself to overcome it. And yeah, I mean, that is like, that's like quintessential Spider-Man, right? No one, no one ever deus ex machina's Spider-Man. He has to dig deep. He gets the shit kicked out of him. He's, he's always the guy who has to pull himself up by his bootstraps and, and the fact that that's in this movie is great too. Well, Spider-Man or Iron Man does Deus Ex Machina him a couple of times, and well, that's, that's one true. thing. <laughs> that's one thing I think the Raimi movies still have over this one uh, is the fact that he is completely on his own, right? Like the organic web shooters was kind of the one thing Raimi was like, okay, you know, he's going to have this. He's not going to have to worry about like mixing shit and creating <laughs> all these things and worrying about cartridges, which we see in this movie too. And Amazing but that's Spider-Man. good. That's, that's good. good. That's, that's all good. Cartridges. But but he was alone. And that loneliness, like, I think that really worked in Spider-Man 2 as well, where he's, like, trying to figure out his calling. He's trying to figure out his place in the world. He doesn't have a freaking 
billionaire philanthropist mentor <laughs> behind him. He doesn't have a whole team that he could turn to. It's just him and these like freakish villains that are appearing in New York. And I think like so as much as I love this movie, I will always love Spider-Man 1 and 2 um, because of that. Like it, it does capture that loneliness yeah, more. So Although I know it does a great job yeah. of basically portraying life as incredibly unappealing to be a superhero, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I it's it's still a uh, one of my favorite superhero movies. So, mm-hmm. um, all right, guys, any closing thoughts? I am disappointed a little bit that there really isn't a moment of Spider-Man doing something. I mean, I didn't think the Washington monument sequence was particularly interesting visually mm-hmm. or, you know, choreo- choreographically. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think the, the, um, fairy sequence was particularly any of that or, or the, uh, plane sequence. I think it's unfortunate that the thing that I love so much about each of the three Captain America movies where Cap in them always is using his shield in new and spectacular ways that you didn't think that we feel like we've scraped the bottom of the barrel of how this dude can use a shield. And yet each of those movies is like, Oh my God, did you see what he just did? I kind of wish we had a Spider-Man that felt that way a little bit too. But, uh, but again, the movie is more about heart and character and, mm-hmm. and the, the action sequence that matters the most, as I said, is the one that's in the car where two actors are just acting. And, and so, I think that's to its credit. So none of the set pieces work for you, Jeff. Like this Cor- is correct. astounding <laughs> to me. Like I was watching each of those sequences and my arms, even the second time, like my hands were digging into the armrest because I think they're all really well done right the the washington monument one like that is him like yeah he's climbed buildings he's flown around this is a very very high thing and <laughs> that tension that anxiety he has like just trying to get in there the way just saving his friends like that whole sequence i thought was pretty well done the fairy sequence was really evocative of like that wonderful subway sequence from spider-man 2 where i where we mm-hmm. you know he causes this mess and he just immediately says, okay, how do I fix this? Okay, you know, web here, here, web the structural points, uh, web bomb, web bomb. Like, I love that whole sequence. And then he, at one point, you know, towards the end, is just, like, crucifying himself, trying to save this boat. Like, that is a wonderful moment for me, too, because it did evoke that whole idea of Spider-Man sacrificing himself for New York. Literally, New York, you know, the Staten Island Ferry. I so, thought it was. I thought yeah. it was. Uh, I'm in Jeff's camp on this one. I thought you guys. I thought it was. You guys, you guys are so like. I've seen so many explosions. Yep, that's right. So I, I thought it was up. fine. I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was. I agree. Fine. It, it wasn't fine. bad. It just was like uh, nothing it, iconic. In nothing terms memorable. of visceral thrills, I would say Captain America: Civil War sure. uh, certainly has this movie beat. Even that, even that, uh, even are, Wonder Woman, I'd argue, has as yeah. uh, those are more action movies, and this is less of an action movie. But I do think these each of these set pieces do t- it tells us a lot about him as a character. Yes, like that's it's character Agreed. building Agreed. thing, and, that's, and nothing yeah, iconic. That freaking plane, like crashing on Coney Island. Are you kidding me? That is <laughs> that is a beautiful sequence. Like that is one of the most memorable Marvel Cinematic Universe sequences to me, at least. All right, guys. Agreed well, I think disagree. we can agree to I disagree. Agree to disagree. The coolest action moment is when they recreated that scene from Marvel <laughs> Civil War. Uh, Captain Civil War. <laughs> Captain Civil that War. was fun. Yeah, yeah. Very fun. that was cool. All and right, also, guys. wait, final, best final line of dialogue, like best final cut to credits <laughs> yes. in the MCU since Iron Man said, "I'm Iron Man." Yeah, I agree with that. What, that, what was the, the uh, final cut to credits? What, what the, the fuck? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, that that is perfect. Like perfectly timed. 
Uh, one little quick tidbit that I saw on Twitter today. I have not fact-checked this, but I, I took it as fact, <laughs> which is always a good thing to do with Twitter. But uh, someone told me or someone tweeted uh, that Marissa Tomei in, in Spider-Man is one year older than Rue McClanahan was when she started on The Golden Girls. I do. Yeah, I remember seeing that, too. That's yep. Unreal. 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 Alrighty. Thanks for that uh, button, Jeff. Um, yeah. So, uh, find more episodes of our podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Our theme music comes from adamwarrock.com. Spoiler bumper from Kyle Hillinger. And our slash film court music comes from simonmharris.com. Stay tuned here. We'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime, Devendra, where can I find more of your work on the internet this week? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, at Devendra, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. How about you, Jeff? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata. I have uh, several other shows. I have a daily video game show. It's only 10 minutes a day. Quick daily hits. Really cool. You can find that on iTunes and uh, Google Play and wherever you get podcasts. It's called uh, Newest, Latest, Best. So just search for that or go to anchor.fm slash NLB. I have a weekly video game show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC, and a comedy science show called We Have Concerns that you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. Find all of my stuff at davechen.net. Guys, a lot of movies coming out this summer. It's really tough to squeeze them all in. We did a double review today, mm-hmm. went extra long, but uh, next week we're planning on doing War uh, for the Planet of the Apes. Um, so looking forward to that review. And at some point we got to do Okja, the oh, yeah. Bong Joon-ho movie and Valerian city of the thousand planets. Um, so July is just absolutely packed. This has been a really strong July guys. Really strong. It has July. For uh, good sure. summer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, baby after driver. we got past uh, Mummy and Transformers, right? It's all gold after that. It's all yeah, gold. Baby Driver, Big Six, Spider-Man. It's been, it's been strong. Indeed. Man. Indeed. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. Oh, one other thing before we wrap up. Um, I do want to mention that there is a new podcast that SlashFilm is putting out called SlashFilm Daily. They just posted about, as we were recording this, Peter wrote a post. Uh, it was kind of... It had a soft opening, but now it's uh now he's officially now it's hard. Now it's hard now and ready it's to go. Super hard. Uh and just search for slash film daily. It's daily film news. Uh and it's done by all the awesome intelligent folks at slashfilm.com. So go on iTunes, go on Stitcher, go wherever you want, uh and search for slash film daily, you'll find this podcast. I'd recommend you check it out. I I personally have listened to many of the episodes. I really enjoy the show. So um, check that out. We'll have uh, some of the folks from Slash Home on this podcast to talk about that show at some point. Thanks for tuning in to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We'll see you later. Bye.